Chapter 8, Part 2 from the sermon series, The Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Sunita Monta. So this week, Amazon Prime Day, anyone, anyone get anything? Oh, good, good. First service, like nobody. (laughs) So Amazon Prime Days were this week. And um, I know there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people who probably prepped their cart um, even before uh, Prime Day because you wanted to be ready so you could hit buy now as soon as the sale started. And I commend you because I also love sales. I love all kinds of sales. Um, I am one of those persons, I am, a, I am a sucker for a good sale. There is nothing like going into the mall and seeing on the window of a store 60% off everything in the store. Like, I'm that person, right? I love going to the, to the malls and getting those kinds of sales. And, and especially when you know they only come around like maybe once a year or twice a year, like Sephora, when they have their sale, I'm there in the store and I'm online. And the reason I do that, and the reason that we do that, is not just because we like a discount, but we know that the sale is going to end at some point, right? We know the sale is going to end at some point. And so one of the worst things I think a store can do is when you walk into the store and you ask them when the sale will end, and they say, oh, we don't know, we can, it can end any day now, right? I hate that, that frustrates me, right? But the reason they do that is because they want to create some sort of urgency in us to buy now, right? Um, but we all know that that is a false urgency, right? That's not a, that's not a real, that's not anything that's actually um, meaningful, right? It's a false urgency. But sometimes, sometimes timing is important. Like when you're trying to buy a house and there are multiple buyers bidding on the same house, right? Timing is of the essence. Or when you're at the mechanic and he or she tells you that your car is not safe to drive, you need to take care of whatever it is right here and right now, right? That's urgent, right? Maybe when you're in a burning building and they say, we got to get out of here right now, that is urgent. When you're in the doctor's office, when you're in the emergency room and they say, we have to take care of this right now, those are actually urgent matters. And that's when timing matters. Now, you can choose not to have your car repaired. You can choose not to leave the burning building. You can choose not to get whatever kind of medical attention that you need at the moment. But there are consequences to those decisions. There are moments, even in our spiritual lives, where timing matters. And when our choice has eternal consequences, And so this morning, we are going to be looking at a time where Jesus is talking about, you have a choice to make. We have a choice to make, and time is of the essence. Time is of the essence. So let us um, look at our text this morning. If you have your Bibles or if you're on your phones, we are looking at John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verses 21 through 30. John chapter 8, verses 21 through 30. And the word of God reads as follows. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that I would, excuse me, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. 
Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Now, in many ways, you know that we are going through the, the, the book of John. And so in many ways, this sermon is a continuation of the last few weeks. We are still a part of a larger conversation that began in chapter 7. We're still on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Festival of Tabernacles. And Jesus has been teaching openly, and he is being challenged by the religious elite. They're classified here as just the Jews, and the Jews include the Pharisees, the scribes, and those people sort of under their influence. Some are amazed by Jesus' teachings, while others, particularly the Pharisees and the scribes, they're threatened by it. They want Jesus arrested. They don't understand Jesus, and they continue to challenge him, including, as Pastor Peter talked about last week, they seek to invalidate what he says, not just in their hearts, but they, they're invalidating it before the world. Yet Jesus remains persistent, because in the crowd, there are people who want to be righteous. There are people who want to believe in God. They, they want to believe in the true God, but they don't know that Jesus is God, that the one standing in front of them is God in the flesh. And so Jesus, he makes it pretty clear with this bold claim, if you don't believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. He's so emphatic about this claim that he warns the crowd three times that they will die in their sins. And so for all of you who read the Bible, I need, you to under, I need you to remember that anytime you see something in repetition, we need to pay attention to it, okay? So, so three times Jesus tells them that they will die in their sins, first in verse 21 and then twice in verse 24. And yet, this is a conditional claim. You actually don't have to die in your sins. If you don't believe that Jesus is one with God, then you will die in your sins. But if you do believe, you will live. Now, just last week, we saw Jesus say something similar in verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So if those who follow him will not, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light, then those who do not follow him will not have life. And this light, this path out of darkness is not about just the darkness of anxiety or anger or fear or some of the other things that we talked about last week. This light out of darkness is actually the light out of eternal darkness, out of eternal death. It is the light out of darkness of sin to the light of life and forgiveness and restoration. So Jesus is clear. He says, look, if you don't believe in him, you will die in your sins. And so the question for us today, and, and when, I, when we were talking about this earlier this week, Pastor Peter said, wow, you're just going for it. I'm going for it this morning. The question for us today is how to not die in your sins. How do we not die in our sins? And it's really simple. 
But we're going to talk about it because it's not as simple as it sounds. Believe in Jesus before it's too late. Believe in Jesus before it's too late. Now, of course, many of us here, if not most of us, we've already come to believe in Jesus. And that doesn't mean that we get to tune out, not at all, because today you need to ask yourself, what does belief in Jesus look like in your life today? How would we know that you believe in Jesus? And we have to ask ourselves as Christians, what are we doing so that others come to believe in Jesus? So how do we not die in our sins? Jesus makes this powerful claim, and he tells us exactly what to do. These are Jesus' words. He says, if you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. So how do we not die in our sins? First, we believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus Now, I understand this is a powerful claim, but Jesus backs it up about himself because he's been telling them that he is the bread of life and that he is the light of the world. He's been telling them that he is the promised Messiah. He is the one that they have been waiting for. And if they don't believe his words, they can look at his actions. Jesus has fed the 5,000 and he's walked on water. And he's turned water into wine. He's been healing people and delivering and drawing people back into community. He's been teaching God's word and he's been living the law out perfectly. And yet there are many who still refuse to believe. And yet Jesus says that if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Within this statement, Jesus is trying to tell us something about himself. He says, I am he. And he says it in verses 24 and verses 28 because he wants us to hear it again. Now, in the original Greek, what Jesus is saying is simply, I am. I am. And he says this to this Jewish crowd because they'll remember the story of Moses and Exodus. They'll remember that when God sends Moses to free the people um, from Egypt, Moses says to him, well, who am I supposed to tell them is sending me? And God says, tell them I am. That's what God calls himself. He calls himself I am. And so when the Jews, they hear this, they remember that story. But it's odd to them because they're looking at Jesus and Jesus is saying that I am. And Jesus is trying to tell them, I am God. But they can't hear it. And he says that if you want to avoid dying in your sins, you must believe in me that I am God. And there are many ways to know that Jesus is God, but in these verses, he highlights two very specific ways. Look at verses 28 and 29. Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Jesus says that he does nothing on his own, that he only speaks what the Father tells him, that he always does what pleases God. This means that Jesus is obedient to the Father. Jesus is obedient to the Father. Second, Jesus says that the one who sent him, God, he's with him and he's never alone. That means that Jesus is in relationship with the Father. 
Jesus is in relationship with the Father. So we take obedience and we add relationship and we have oneness with the Father. Obedience plus relationship equals oneness with the Father. Jesus and the Father are one. They're united in essence and in purpose, in word and in action. And you can't fully believe in God without believing in Jesus. Because Jesus came to make God known to us. How could they claim to know God and not know Jesus whom he sent? So Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus' obedience and relationship with God is proof that he is one with God. It's proof that he is God. And it's this proof that will cause others to believe in him. So why is this important to us? This is important to us because as Christians, we are called to also tell people about Jesus so they can come to know the Father. Amen? In Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's what Jesus says. And so that means that we are called to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, to point people not to ourselves, but to God through Jesus Christ. And like Jesus, one of the best ways that we can prove that Jesus is alive, that God is real, is if we live like Jesus. We are to be obedient to the Father. We are to be in relationship with the Father. Jesus says that he doesn't do anything on his own. He only does what pleases the Father. He says that God is always with him. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we ought to live our lives so that it always pleases God. That we do nothing without the Father. We ought to live as if we are in relationship with God because God is always with us. And when we demonstrate this, when we demonstrate this oneness with God, we show the world who God is. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays what is called the high priestly prayer. This is Jesus' word. He says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. People will know that Jesus is real when we live like him. And this is what it means for us to really believe in Jesus. It's obedience and relationship. The proof of our belief in Jesus is what we do. It's not what we say. It's how we behave. We are all sitting in these chairs because we believe when we sat down that the chair would hold us up, right? I never do trust falls. You know why? Because I don't believe that if I fall backwards that people are going to catch me. I don't do it. I would be a horrible rock star because there's no way in the world that I am body surfing in a crowd. Because inevitably somebody's not paying attention and I'm going to fall. Right? I don't believe that they will hold me up. But I do believe that God will hold me up. To actually believe in Jesus is not just to say that we believe in Jesus, but it is to live our life as if his word is true. 
that we are governed by his word. That means that we read the Bible and we do what it says. I will forgive, not because I like forgiving people all the time, but because I know that it breeds bitterness if I don't. That it separates me from the Father if I don't. I will tithe because I believe that God will provide for me. I will keep praying and keep praising and keep serving even in the midst of all the craziness because I believe, like the Bible says, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I believe and I worship even when things are crashing down all around me because I believe God's word when he says, for our slight momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure which means what I'm going through right now doesn't compare to the glory that God has waiting for me. It's not easy. Let's be honest, it's not easy. There have been times when I have left jobs, I have left relationships, I've had to have hard conversations, I've forgiven people that I didn't want to forgive, I've given things that I didn't want to have to give, I've said yes to a lot of things that I didn't want to say yes to and no to a lot of things that I wanted to do because the Lord said so. And sometimes I did it with tears in my eyes. But I did it because at the end of the day, what I actually believe is God's word when he says, for surely I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for your welfare and not for harm to give you a future with hope that even if I don't know why I'm doing this or how this is going to work out, I actually believe that Jesus has a plan for my life. That is belief worked out in obedience. But it's also why relationship is so important. Because you know there are times when I come here or when I'm out, you know, kind of living my life and I have a hard time praying for myself, but I know that if I called any one of you, you would pray for me. I know that it's difficult sometimes to worship, but when I walk through those doors, it's the worship of the community that lifts me up. And so relationships are important, but there's an even more important relationship. It is the relationship that we have with the Father. And so even on my worst days, on the worst seasons of my life, because I am in relationship with God, I know that God will give me moments of revelation. He'll give me moments of of respite and, and moments of reprieve, moments to remind me that he is with me. And sometimes that moment is just enough breathing room to get me through what I'm going through. Why do I keep believing in Jesus? Because when I look back over the expanse of my life, I see how God's hand had been upon me the entire time. I can see the presence of God at work in my life when he has steered me back in the right direction. That he continues to speak to me, that he continues to encourage me, that he's still answering prayers and he's still fulfilling his promises. And that all begins with the first yes. The first yes. When we say we believe in Jesus, we know that salvation is actually very simple and yet it's the most, it's probably one of the most difficult of things to conceive. God doesn't actually require anything of us to be saved. 
We don't have to prove ourselves worthy or make ourselves right. We don't have to clean ourselves up to be saved by God. It's just the opposite. Because if we were righteous and, and good on our own, we wouldn't need a Savior, but we, we're messed up. And we're broken and we're sinful, and so we need a Savior. We are all sinners. If anything is universal, it is sin. And this is what made it so difficult for the Pharisees and the scribes to believe in Jesus, because they didn't believe that they were sinners too. They thought that sinners were just the prostitutes and the tax collectors. It's also the religious elite. It's also the teachers of the law. It's also the good people, right? We know the good people. We think that if the world calls us good, then that's enough. But let me tell you, you can be good to the world and still be a sinner. Consider the Pharisees and the scribes. It was the sin of pride that made them untouchable and unteachable. It was the sin of self-reliance that made them assume that they didn't need God, but rather that God needed them. It was the sin of rebellion that hardened their hearts to hear God's word. It was the sin of self-centeredness that made them believe that the world revolved around them and not around God. These sins and others prevent us from believing. They prevent us from surrendering our ways and our lives to God, even when we say we believe. They prevented some in Jesus' time from believing in him. But don't let sin keep you from Jesus. Jesus says, if you do not believe in me, you will indeed die in your sins. How do we not die in our sins? First, we believe in Jesus. Second and finally, we respond to God's grace now. We respond to God's grace now. So much of this passage alludes to timing. In verse 21, Jesus says, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Then in verse 28, he says, so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. Jesus is alluding to his death. In John 7, Jesus says that he is only with them for a little while, and then he's going to go back to the Father who sent him. They're going to look for him, and they won't be able to find him. Jesus was sent from the Father, and shortly he'll be returning to the Father. Because what they didn't know, but what we know, is that this took place about six months before his crucifixion. There's limited time for the Jews to believe in Jesus. Jesus is going away, and then it will be too late for them. They will die in their sin if they don't believe in Jesus. Jesus is stressing the urgency of time. The Jews have to make a choice. We all have to make a choice. To die in one's sins is to die unforgiven and condemned. It's to be eternally separated from the Father. But to die in the Lord is actually to live. It is to have eternal life. It is to live forgiven and reconciled to God. So Jesus is clear and decisive. And I know that we don't like when things are clear cut and decisive. We don't always like when Jesus is speaking and he says something absolutely. We like the gray. 
We like negotiation, but there's no gray and there's no negotiation here with Jesus. And it's this theme, it runs throughout the book of John. It's called the Johannine dualism. It means that Jesus is constantly making distinctions between the world and God. There's dark and then there's light. There's below and there's above. There's the world and there's not of the world. He's making a distinction between the Jews and himself. They come from two different places. And he says those of the world are resistant to God. But it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus is giving them another opportunity to say yes. He's giving them another opportunity to believe in him. Verse 21. Two little words. Most of us pass by it. Verse 21. Once again. Once again. Why is that important? Because Jesus has been talking to them and he does not mind repeating himself so they can get the message this time. In verse 25, Jesus says, just what I've been telling you from the beginning, when they ask, who are you? They don't know who Jesus is, and he says, if you would just listen to what I have been telling you from the beginning, you would understand what have I been telling you all this time. Jesus is repeating himself for their benefit. Jesus is patient. I love it. Because the truth is that Jesus is a lot more patient than most people. Growing up, my mother, a wonderful, good, godly Christian woman, would say to me and my brother, I'm not going to repeat myself. And she meant it. She did it. For example, when we were about to go into a store, while we were still in the car, my mom would say, we are going into this store. Don't touch anything. I'm not buying you anything. And don't ask. Right? Those were the rules. And inevitably, me and my brother, we would go into the store, and we would touch something, and we would say, can you buy us whatever the thing is, right? And my mother, she would look at us, and she would say, what did I say? I am not going to repeat myself. And we got the hint, right? (laughs) She was not going to repeat herself. Now, my mother, she's a good, godly Christian woman. But I'm so glad that Jesus is not like her. (laughs) Jesus does not mind repeating himself for our sake. And this, brothers and sisters, is the grace of God. Jesus is repeating himself for our benefit. Jesus, he doesn't just come to us one time, but he comes to us repeatedly. He chases after us. He pursues us. He wants us to believe in him. He wants us to do his will. He wants to be in relationship with us. So much so that he will come back to us time and time and time again. All throughout his life, We see Jesus talking with the Pharisees and scribes. He goes around teaching to the people. He doesn't hide who he is. He's he's teaching and he's healing and he's trying to draw people to him so that they will believe him and be saved. He doesn't just have one encounter with naysayers. He goes back to the temple multiple times talking with them right here in this conversation. 
Christian, he has repeated himself three times. Two more than my mother. <laughs> but he does it so that they will come to faith in him. Am I the only one who's glad that God doesn't take our first no as our final answer? That he, he doesn't force us, but he pursues us. He doesn't give us just one chance. He gives us a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. Some of us are on the 200th chance. Some of you had been running from God. And when you finally said yes to him, you could look back over your life and see all the different ways that God had been trying to talk to you. To see all the different ways he had been trying to get your attention. Even if you were like me and you said yes to Jesus as a child, we know that even as Christians, there are times when we have said no to God. There have been times when we've said, not right now, God, come back later. Right? And it's God's grace that he does. It is God's grace that when we hear a sermon, God starts to speak to us. It's God's grace that when we're in the grocery store and we hear a conversation, that it is God speaking to us. It is God's grace that when we open up the word of God, that he speaks to us. It's God's grace that when we are singing a song, that God is speaking to us. I know that when God wants me to move in a particular direction, when he wants me to have a difficult conversation, when he wants me to step out on faith, he usually starts with dealing with my fear. And I will notice that everywhere I go, there is a message about not being afraid. I'll come to church. Don't fear. I'm in the grocery store. Don't fear. I'm, you know, somebody's wearing a T-shirt, Right? Instagram, Facebook, everybody, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. That is God trying to get my attention. He is trying to prepare me for something. That is God's grace upon my life. That's God's grace upon your life that he's giving us multiple opportunities to say yes to him. Now, of course, the goal is to say yes the first time. That's the goal. But if we don't, it is in God's abundant grace that he pursues us and he gives us opportunity to say yes to him again. That is the grace of God at work in our lives. Once again, God is calling you to believe in him. Respond to his grace now. What is it? that God seems to have sent every messenger on earth to tell you? What is it that God is speaking to your heart that everywhere you go, you see that same message? That is God giving you another opportunity to say yes to him. Will you say yes to whatever that is today? Because just because God gives us multiple opportunities, it doesn't mean that we should make him. Jesus makes it clear in this passage that there will come a time when it will be too late. He says, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sins because where I go, you cannot come. 
They're going to realize that they should have said yes, and it will be too late. He'll be gone. They've had Jesus among them in their midst, and some of them rejected him. Some of them refused to believe. Some of them said no. Jesus doesn't tell them when he's going away, but he does assure them that it will happen. And we don't know when we will run out of opportunities. Every time there's a flood or something, I'm like, Jesus, are you coming back? Right? We don't know when our lives here will end. But we know it's going to happen. Don't you want to respond to God's grace today? The way of faith was still open to the Jews when Jesus spoke to them in the text. They don't have to die in their sins. There's still hope for them. It's a conditional clause if you do not believe. There's something that they could do to not die in their sins. If you are not a Christian today, if you have not said that you believe in Jesus, there is hope for you today. There is something you can do today. You can proclaim that you believe in Jesus. And if you are a Christian and there is something that God has been pressing on your heart that you must do, stop hesitating. If you say you believe in Jesus, act like you believe in Jesus. Today is the day to respond to God's grace. And Jesus says, don't wait until it's too late. In verse 28, he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Jesus, he's alluding to his death when he'll be lifted up on a cross and die for the sins of the world. Jesus will die on the cross for the very same people who don't believe him now. But they will believe him one day. Look at Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 54. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama shabbatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Verse 54 When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Surely he was the son of God. They couldn't deny it any longer. When some who had refused to believe before saw Jesus die on the cross, they were compelled to believe. And when Jesus talks about being lifted up, he's not only talking about being lifted up physically on the cross, he's talking about being exalted. He's talking about being lifted up and glorified by the Father because of his obedience. At that final exaltation, when he returns, when he is lifted up, everyone will know that he is God. 
Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we exalt God, when we exalt Jesus through our obedience and through our relationship with him, we lift him up and we show the world who he is. And we demonstrate our belief in Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, we can start to do that now. The final verse, Verse uh, 8, chapter 8, verse 30, it says, Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. When the word of God, when Jesus proclaimed his word, people believed in him, many believed in him. That is the calling for us today. That when Jesus speaks to us, we believe him. And we move where he is calling us to move. We go where he's calling us to go. We do what he's calling us to do. That's how we demonstrate that we believe in Jesus. And so what is Jesus calling you to do today? What is he saying that you can't get out of your head? What is he pressing in around you about today? The calling today is to believe him enough to do it. That's the call, to believe him enough to do it. And so we're going to do prayer differently today. I'm going to ask you to stand. And um, they're going to hit the lights. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I'm going to do something different. We don't do it very often here at Metro. I am going to ask you to come forward. And I'm going to ask you to come and stand here. If God is calling you to do something, and you've been hesitant to do it, that you're wrestling with your belief in him, you're wrestling with your faith, you're wrestling with the courage to do what God is calling you to do. And we're gonna pray for you here. And the reason that I'm asking you to come forward is because that alone is a demonstration of faith. I'm not worried about my brother or my sister, they're not looking at us. And actually what's happening is between you and God, it's not about what's happening with them. But I'm also asking you to come to the front because I want you to know that you're not alone. I want you to stand beside brothers and sisters who are in this journey with you. And I want you to allow us to pray for you and to pray over you. Because we're a community. And I believe in the power of prayer. Amen? Amen. So if you would, close your eyes and bow your heads. Don't worry about who's standing next to you. Don't worry about who's around you. But if God is calling you to do something, if God has been pressing something on your heart, If God has been moving in your spirit and you have been hesitant to do it, I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith and just come meet me up at the front. Don't worry about who's watching. This is between you and God. Just slide them out of the way. They'll be okay. 
but God is calling us to step out on faith. He's calling us not just to say we believe in God, but to demonstrate it. Keep coming. It's okay. Keep coming. We don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. We don't come on Sunday just to do something. We come because we want to be transformed. We want God to do the transformational work inside of us. So I'm going to start praying. Keep your eyes closed. Keep your head bowed. If you still need to come, you can come. Don't worry about it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters. God, I thank you that you love them so much that you have pursued them. I thank you, God, that you have a purpose and a plan for each one of their lives. I thank you, God, that it is unique and it is personal. I thank you, God, that it is so much that you have lovingly crafted out their lives, God. God, I thank you that when you look down at your, sister, at your daughter, at your sons and your daughters, that you don't see what happened in the past. You only see what's happening today. God, I, I thank you that even though they may have said no before, even though they may have said wait, God, before, that today you are giving them another opportunity to say yes. God, I thank you for your grace upon their lives. God, I thank you that your Holy Spirit has been moving in their lives in ways that they may not even be able to articulate, God. I thank you, God, that you are so powerful, God, that you know how to meet each one of us exactly where we are at, God. God, I thank you that you have not let your hand be removed from each one of your children, God. God, I thank you that you are calling them to obedience in you. God, I thank you that you are calling them into deeper relationship with you. God, I thank you that you are calling them to unity in you, God. And so, God, I pray for my brother and my sisters. I pray, God, that you would increase their faith. I pray, God, that you would give them holy boldness, God. I pray, God, that you would allow them to say yes to you in the depths of their heart, God. And it would be so monumental, God, that they have to move in the direction that you were calling them to go. God, I know that they may not know what the step looks like. And I know that they may not know what the end looks like, God, but would you remind them, would you place it so concretely in their hearts and in their minds that you will be with them every step of the way. That you have a plan for them and it is perfect, Heavenly Father. That there is nowhere that they can go that is outside of your provision and outside of your care, God. God, I pray that you will bring people alongside of them to encourage them on the journey, God. I pray that we might be that community here that would say, yes, you can do it. Yes, you can say yes. How can we support you in the journey, God? And God, I pray that when they're alone, God, that you will encourage their spirits, that you would strengthen their hearts, that you would give them holy boldness and confidence in you, Heavenly Father. 
I pray that they would know in the depths of their soul that they belong to you, Heavenly Father. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be graced upon their lives, that they would move in obedience to your will, God. And I pray, God, that you would be glorified in all that they say and in all that they do, God. I pray that they would move with your purpose. I pray that they would move according to your plan, God. And I pray that they would exalt you in their lives, Heavenly Father. God, I thank, that you, I thank you that you know each one of them by name. And I pray that today would be the day that they would say yes, God. That they would say yes, God. Trusting and believing in your faithfulness over their lives because God, you are, they are here today because of your grace. And your grace and your mercy will proceed with them. So bless them now, God. Bless even their act of faith in walking down the aisle, God. Stir up your spirit inside of them and place a fire inside of them that will never be quenched, God. May they live to honor and to glorify you, God. May your hand remain upon your children today, God. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your faithfulness towards your children, God. I thank you for your steadfast love, God. I thank you for your provision, God. Thank you for your providence over their lives, God, your sovereignty over their lives, God. And I pray, God, that if the enemy comes against them, if the enemy even tries to come against them, God, that you will raise a standard around them, God. That you will encamp your angels all around them, God. Because no weapon formed against them will prosper in your name, Jesus Christ. May they walk in your victory, God. May they see your victory, God, as they move obedient to your calling upon their lives. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. My brothers and my sisters, you may return to your seats. Hug someone, love someone, let them know they're not alone.